Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode is Will Miles, co-host of Gators Breakdown. You can find his site at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will, I'm recharged and, and, and ready to go. Well, that's good, man. You must have like heavy lights like shining on you or something because you don't look like you got a lot of sun even though you had all those pictures at the beach. So. Yeah, that's, that's the thing about uh, my wife Kaylee being a uh, skin cancer nurse is you know there are gobs and gobs of sunblock so uh i am i am taken care of in in that department well the good news is there's proof you were there because of all the pictures that you post on social (laughs) media so so it wasn't just you taking a break from the craziness well i mean it was you taking a break from crazy that was about the only time i was on social media as well to post pictures and then i put and then putting the phone down well, I'm glad you had a good time, and now crazy stuff needs to happen because uh, you're not allowed to take a week-long <laughs> break without uh, without all hell breaking loose. So, yeah, good to be back. Yeah, a couple transfers, of course. Uh, um, Rashad Jackson and Kylan Johnson, you and I kind of talked about before we came on air here. Uh, so just, you know, maybe some depth issues if Florida gets the injury bug, uh, of course, there. And, of course, Bernie moving to linebacker now, and Edwards not necessarily, as you brought up, not being the not necessarily probably being able to be counted on uh, come fall time. So that was the kind of news that went, went this past week is, is some transfers and uh, with still and Jalen Jones, you know, transfer has kind of a lot of this is going to happen in our coaches early tenure because that guys get passed up on the depth chart of the guys that Dan Mullen has brought in now. So it, it's expected for guys who have been in the program that were Jim McElwain recruits, but now Dan Mullen has kind of come in two recruiting classes, and those guys feel like they're getting passed up on the depth chart. Yeah, you know, Grantham's going to earn his money this season just because of all the all the chairs he's going to have to shuffle shuffle around with some of the, uh, you know, some of the attrition that's going on this year. I mean, you already look at it. You've got you got Edwards, Jackson, Johnson, Chris Steele, and one Black guys that they potentially could have counted on this season that they're not going to be able to. So um, that doesn't mean there aren't good players still in uh, still in place, but it does mean that uh, that at least on the defensive side of the ball, there are going to be some things that need to be shuffled around, and they were already doing that a little bit bringing Bernie in at linebacker. So, but you know, when the uh when the depth is impacted on the backside there, then taking Bernie from his 
sort of traditional safety spot, putting him at linebacker, start to make a difference. So certainly the health of 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 Wilson coming back at corner is going to be very, very, very important for the season. And and then Grantham's going to have to do a good job. Well, about my favorite time of uh, of year rolls around here, uh, and it was the preview magazines are out. And we'll dive into the deep into those. Uh, you know, my favorite part. Uh, of those are what opposing coaches say about each other uh, anonymously. So uh, we'll get into that of uh, what the SEC coaches are. Uh, I guess it could be uh, FSU or uh, Willie Tiger, his staff, maybe too, talking about Dan Mullen uh, and that too, I guess. But I, I would assume it's probably SEC coaches that, that they, they get the opinions of there. Uh, but before we do that, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes. Also, catch the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Spotify. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, I, I felt like I struck gold when the Athlon and Lindy's magazines were released right before vacation because I knew my flights were, were going to consist of uh, you know five-hour flights to, to, to down to St. Lucia and me consuming these college football preview magazines on the way and the way back. Hey, you're, you're not making us feel bad for you there. <laughs> oh, no. uh, yeah. uh, that, that, that was not meant to. I was, that was, that was an added bonus uh, to the uh, vacation. Well, living the life is the CEO of Gators breakdown. I'll tell you that much. Everything gets delivered. So you didn't have to, you didn't have to pound them when you got back, but uh, no, nah, I mean, these are all, it's always fun to start talking about football. You know, we get into recruiting in February and then typically sometime between February and, and, and May, there's usually some ridiculousness that goes on with the program that we need to discuss as well. And we've certainly had that this year. So now we can finally sort of sit down and say the rosters have settled and we have an idea of who's going to be there and who's going to be on each roster and um, you know, really sort of preview what's going to happen this year. And, and that's why we do this, right, to watch the football. And, and it means we're only a couple of months away and, uh, you know, August can't get here soon enough. Absolutely. This is kind of the uh, this is kind of the kickoff of, of preview season when these magazines hit around Memorial Day, uh, the week before. Uh, it seems like it gets earlier every year when these things hit store shelves. So uh, they want to be the first one to put them out, and uh, they were out about the same time. So let's start with the Athlon uh, side of things, and they have the Gators at number eight. We'll start uh, kind of broad uh, here and, and kind of dial it down. Uh, to, to more specifics as we go along. But Athlon has Florida ranked eighth uh, in their summary for the Gators reads. Gator fans had to love the last two games of the 18 season when UF routed Florida State and Michigan to finish with 10 wins and let uh, the SEC know that Dan Mullen was, wasn't the best coach in Mississippi State history for nothing. The scary thing for everybody else in the conference is that Mullen is just getting started in his role and once he gets a few recruiting classes into the program, things could get really interesting. One might be tempted to add, especially once he gets a quarterback to that last sentence. But Felipe Franks made some pretty big strides for the Gators last year. He's not going to be an All-American, but he did improve his passer rating by 30 points and showed that he could be counted on to operate the Florida attack. He still has plenty of work to do, but with a bunch of proven receivers back and LaMichael Piran around to carry the ball, the Florida offense should be pretty stout. The big news on defense is that coordinator Todd Grantham stuck around to run things for at least another season. That's good because some strong performers like sack master Jacob Light have left town. Uh, linebacker David Reese and Jabari Zuniga and corner CJ Henderson are the stalwarts on that side of the ball. We'll learn a lot about the Gators pretty quickly because they meet up with Miami in an August 24th made for TV date that will kick off college football's 150th anniversary celebration and establish the Sunshine State's best. 
So that's what Athlon has to say, Will, as they put the Gators ranked eighth in the in their preseason uh, in their preseason poll. Of course, you know, they talk about they, they highlight the things that we we pretty much already know about what you know the the, the late game stretch, uh, Felipe Frank's late game stretch, uh, late season stretch as well. Uh, but you know, as, uh, one of the more popular publications uh, that are out there, and especially in the uh, college football preview magazine world, has the Gators as a top ten team. Yeah, it's funny that they focus on the offense and don't focus on the defense very much in that in that overview. I mean, you figure Mullen did a pretty good job of fixing the offense last year, and you suspect that they'll be better this year. Um, a lot of the, I think, questions sort of fall on the defensive side of the ball. We talked a lot about Franks last week and sort of what we can expect from him, and <clears throat> and in particular – you know, what happens if he's, uh, you know, if he's that player that he was the last four games of last year. And, you know, obviously that's going to have a huge impact on where Florida stays ranked, but, um, or where Florida ends up ranked. I, I think at end of the day, I think most of these publications are going to have Florida somewhere between seventh and 14th. And I think that's kind of a question of, do you think they're going to go 10 and three, or do you think that with a little bit tougher schedule, maybe they go nine and four. And that's sort of the, the bet most of these guys are, are hedging. Yeah, so for Athlon, uh, I'll go to the top 10 here since Florida was ranked eight. They had Alabama number one and not Clemson. They had Clemson number two, Georgia number three, uh, Michigan number four, Ohio State five, Michigan four. I was kind of interested. Uh, they have Athlon has Michigan as a college football uh, playoff team uh, in their rankings there. Uh, the team Florida beat in the Peach Bowl, of course. Uh, so Ohio State was number five, Oklahoma six, LSU seven, team Florida beat last year. Uh, you know, you, you're going to interchange. You're going to see a lot of interchanging of LSU and Florida uh, in, in these rankings. We'll get to Lindy's in a minute, who uh, even more favorable uh, for the Gators there. So LSU seven, Florida eight, Notre Dame nine, and Texas A&M ten. So that was Texas A&M, Florida, LSU, uh, Georgia, Alabama on the top ten. Will. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's kind of the way you would expect it to be, except for that a bunch of them have to play each other. So, yep. Yep. <laughs> so we'll see whether it ends up that way last year. There's there's no UCF in there, Dave? Uh, okay, that was top 10. Let's see. Athlon did have UCF, I think, 20, 22nd. There we go. UCF 22nd. Uh, and that is two spots behind Auburn at 20. Well, that's interesting. I, I I haven't heard any I haven't heard any complaining though so, from them yet. So <laughs> <laughs> here's a, here's a, here's a, here's the thing that did catch my that that, that did really did um, catch my eye. We hear going starting at number fourteen is Penn State, fifteen Oregon. But you okay? Remember I said Penn State at fourteen. There's a Big Ten team. Oregon fifteen. Michigan State 16, Nebraska 17, Iowa 18, Wisconsin 19. So uh, you have a run of Big Ten teams right there, starting at Penn State for 14 to Wisconsin all the way at 19th. Oregon is the only Pac-12 team uh, that kind of breaks up the uh, Big Ten kind of cluster right there. Yeah, I think that has a lot. That says a lot about Ohio State and Michigan, right, and the expectations there. I think they kind of expect those two teams probably to go undefeated, and then one of them beats the other one at the end of the year, and that's who goes to the playoff, which, let's be honest, that's kind of what the Big Ten is almost every year unless Ohio State and Michigan Michigan are having down years. So um, 
when that happens, you're going to have a bunch of, you know, bunch of sort of middle of the road teams, which to be honest is kind of what the big 10 is these days. Um, it's, it's those two guys at the top and then, and then everybody else sort of below them. So um, the sec obviously is a little bit more balanced. I think, I mean, Alabama obviously has been the monster the last few years, Georgia, you sort of think of as, as building up to that, but um you know, if you look at the top 10 of any recruiting rankings, it's usually got seven SEC teams in it anyway. So, um, you know, I think there's probably a little bit more balance, though obviously it's pretty top-heavy with Alabama at the top. Yep. So let's go to Lindy's and what Lindy's has to say here. They had Clemson number one, Alabama two, Georgia three, so Georgia three in both polls, Oklahoma four, Michigan five, and Will, the Florida Gators at number six in Lindy's there. So uh, they're quick. Uh, their quick summary here, Mullen has Gators back on the brink of big things. Uh, in his first season as Florida's coach, Dan Mullen proved he was the right man for the job, a program that has been maddeningly uh, inconsistent in recent seasons, has a momentum of a 10-win season and dominant Peach Bowl victory over Michigan. The two-step goal, knock Georgia off its perch in the SEC East and reach the college football playoff, is more reality than fantasy there so the good news they say here mullen's reputation as an offense offensive savant was proven as quarterback felipe franks gained consistency and was particularly potent at season's end the gators averaged 35 points a game and helped bring fever and fervor back to the swamp the bad news and of course we've all hit on this uh, three of the top players on defense defensive end jacob polite safety johnson gardner johnson uh, more of nickel back there, of course. Uh, linebacker Vashawn Joseph uh, departed early for the NFL draft. The Gators allowed 101 points in their three losses. The offense is good, but not good enough to win too many shootouts. Uh, Lindy's call here. Florida took a step toward SEC East bully Georgia last season, winning two more conference games than in 2017. And now we'll try to claw the rest of the way to the Bulldogs. If Franks continues to improve his accuracy, the Gators will continue continue to close the gap and win 10 plus again. So what caught my eye, Will, in, in Lindy's little summaries here uh, is, you know, pointing it out there that Florida allowed 101 points in their three losses. Uh, and also there's a lot of Florida, Georgia comparison talk there uh, in that short summary from Lindy's. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what we've been hearing all offseason, right, is, is yeah. Florida has to get over that Georgia hump. I, I think having the teams at, what, sixth and eighth, really yep. the, the, the reason to, or the reasoning there I get, which is basically they think Florida is much better than Miami. They think Florida is better than Auburn. So then you've got two real games on the schedule where Florida maybe isn't scheduled. The at the game at LSU and then the neutral site game against Georgia, they should be favored against Florida State. Got sort of maybe a trap game at Missouri. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you look at where Florida should be favored and where they're going to come in against teams that are beat up, um, you know, really – They've got Towson the week before Auburn, which means they should be pretty healthy when that comes when that starts. They've got a bye week after the Miami game, so they can get healthy after that one. Um, you know, there's sort of two bye weeks built in anyway this year, so health really isn't going to be a huge concern. So really, I look at the schedule and I say you got Auburn, LSU, and South Carolina, and that's sort of you know, a key stretch. And then you've got Georgia and the only games I can imagine they might not be favored in are those LSU and Georgia games. Mm -hmm. you, know, you go, you go 10 and two, you're going to be a top 10 team when you get to the bowl game. So um, I think that's kind of where they're coming from. And it makes sense to me, um, you know, whether or not Florida's defense is good enough to, to, 
to build on what they did last year. Because like you said, giving up 100 points for three games is, is problematic because those three games were not necessarily against offensive juggernauts. I mean, they made they made Terry Wilson, the quarterback for Kentucky, look like a really, really good player. And I know and Mark Wilson was early. And, yeah, you know, that's the bad thing about that game was that was – probably Terry Wilson's best game of the season. <laughs> but as we said, it was early on in Mullen's tenure, early on in a, in a new defense. You had Marco Wilson go down, CC Jefferson, David Reese didn't play. So you know, there were a lot of things that contributed to that. But still in that mid-season stretch where you had um, the Georgia-Missouri games back-to-back and what your best defensive player, Jacopolite, you go back and look at those two games, he was non-existent. Yeah, well, and one of the things I think they're going to have to do from an offensive side is get off to better starts. So you think about the game against LSU; they were oh, my favorite stat. <laughs> they were behind seven nothing, and you know I think it was polite, or maybe Zaniga was able to get the strip sack right. that sort of turned that game at least into a into a comp- competition because LSU was driving again, looked like they might be up fourteen nothing. Um, you go back to the South Carolina game; they were behind almost that entire game. The Missouri game; they were behind that game and got and got destroyed. The Georgia game; they were behind in that game very quickly early on and even in the florida state and michigan games they weren't mm-hmm. really nec- they weren't necessarily behind but the games were pretty tight at the half it wasn't until in the second half when they really came out and sort of and took control of those games against at least with florida state a, a team that was overmatched on the field i think michigan was a little bit too just because of some of the people they were missing so um again i think you, you look at it and say the way the offense is going to have to help the defense is by is by getting off the starts that are much more like the tail end of the games last year that we saw yeah, my favorite stat that I that I tracked last year, you know, besides the Idaho game, the last time Florida scored a first quarter touchdown was against Tennessee. So that's uh, it was the, the offense has to get off to better starts for sure. Well, those, uh, those Tennessee touchdowns were all off of turnovers. I mean, they had the ball like the four yard line <laughs> after Anchorman had, a, had an interception, and you know, yeah, that, that is the big thing for me on offense for sure is they have got to get off to better starts. Yep, absolutely. Uh, all right, uh, so that was Florida at six there on Lindy's. They had Ohio State seven, uh, LSU eight, uh, Notre Dame nine, Oregon 10, Texas 11, uh, the 12, Utah. And looking at – well, that, that's my team this year. That's my surprise team is Utah. Going and looking at both of the uh, preseason magazines and kind of reading up on Utah and what they bring back, especially along the defensive line. Uh, their quarterback and running back were hurt late last year. They, 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 they pretty much bring everybody back from the team that kind of exceeded expectations last year, uh, kind of fell short last year in the Pac-12 uh, title game against Washington because they were playing with a backup running back and quarterback. Utah, Utah's my team to, to watch out for. Yeah, I'm gonna have to plead ignorance. <laughs> Utah. I, believe, I, I kind of was there as well until, like I said, you know, that's one reason I get these magazines to kind of as a refresher from last year and kind of keep up this year. And yeah, that's uh, I remembered all that happening, but it, it was not at the forefront of my mind until to, until I read these magazines again. Well, I do think what this tells you is that USC's coach is probably on the hot seat because because oh, yeah. that program is constantly recruiting better than anybody else in the Pac-12, and so for them not to just be a consistent winner in that. That in that conference really says something about the coaching and the development there that, you know, if you, if you took that kind of talent with Mullen's level of coaching, you figure that they'd win every year and have no problem. And they did with Pete Carroll. And, you know, they, they even won, I think, more consistently with Lane Kiffin out there. So um, and, and with Orgeron out there. So um, I, I think it says something about Helton and, and potentially says something about Peterson at Washington, too. Um, 
But I mean, this is one of the things that we always sort of argue about every year is how much does returning talent make a difference versus how much does just raw talent make a difference. And last year, I think Florida had an awful lot of returning talent. It just wasn't necessarily talent that had performed, at least not in 2017. Obviously, a lot of those guys turned the corner and were able to perform last year. Now we're coming into a year where Florida, at least at least in in particular places, you know, has sort of a dearth of returning talent. But I think some of those guys might end up being better. So, you know, over the long term. So we'll see how quickly they can get up to speed. Uh, well, count these number of teams for me uh, as I go through this. Georgia, number three. Uh, LSU, number eight, Auburn, 15, Miami, 19, uh, Missouri, 24. Yeah, five. Five. All those teams are ranked, and that's all those teams Florida plays, uh, okay. according, according to Lindy's there. So five ranked teams, uh, according to Lindy's, that, uh, you know, that, that, that are on the Gator schedule. Yeah, well, you know, you do have Tennessee at home, so that's nice. Yep. Um, I think South Carolina – may actually be a pretty good team this year. It's just that they're playing such an awful schedule that uh, that they're going to be beat up by the time they by the time uh, Florida heads up to Columbia. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually surprised Missouri's ranked. I kind of yeah. figured with Locke leaving that that would be something that, uh, that that they fell off the mark a little bit this year. And then, you know, the other thing is, is I, I don't think Taggart's a particularly good coach. I've certainly expressed that. But Florida State still has quite a bit of talent. And, you know, if, if, if Bryles can do a halfway decent job of getting that offense just serviceable, you figure Florida State maybe can sneak into the back end of that top 25 too. Just if the defense is halfway decent and the offense isn't just absolutely abysmal, um, or maybe it falls apart. But I'm, I'm kind of hoping for them to sneak into the back end of the top 25 because I'd like Taggart to be around for a while. Uh, this is exactly where I was going to go next. They have FSU 34th, uh, fifth best team in the ACC. And what they say is, uh, bounce back from bowl this year? That's a question there. And as you said, offensive coordinator Kendall Browns is a key factor. So that's their little short summary there for uh, FSU. Yeah, well, you know, let, let's hope he's let's hope that they're a little bit better, but just not good enough. And Florida can still stomp them. But <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. I want that game to mean a little bit. Look, it, it was fun watching them flounder, all that. But that game is fun when it's big. And look, I, I like to see rivals lose. Uh, you know, so put this way, I either want you to be really, really bad, which is what they were last year, or you know, pretty good, and we still beat you. You know, we still beat your brains in. Well, I mean, you know, and and. An improvement for Florida State this year is really just having 11 guys on the field most of the time. <laughs> so, so we're really not asking for a whole lot there. Um, yeah, I, I suspect that last year was very similar to the, to the year two years ago for Florida, where sort of everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Um, obviously, with some of the issues they've had at quarterback and who's going to play there, and and Bryles has sort of his own issues where if things go poorly, you can imagine a fan base might turn on him. But you know, Bryles also has proven that he's been pretty, pretty capable when he's had offenses put into his hands. And so, you know, I don't, they don't need to be, they don't need to be, you know, throwing the ball all over the place. They just need to not be terrible and, and they'll be, they'll be considerably better. And you figure their defense is still going to be pretty good. So um, I'm expecting Florida state to sort of be on that tail end. And that's what they said there, what they had 34th. Yeah, I mean, That's a team that's borderline top 25. If they get one more win, you know, pull off a close win, maybe they shouldn't have get a turnover or two in a game that maybe they wouldn't have won. Otherwise they sneak into the top 25. That's probably about right. Yeah. Well, they opened up the season with Boise state. So, you know, that's uh, here in Jacksonville, actually. So that's, uh, you know, a game to look out for. I'm trying to see 
uh, we're boys. Uh, they have Boise State ranked 27th. Lindy's does. So you know, if, if the polls that come out or you know the official polls come out, and that's about where both teams would be ranked. Or, you know, they don't rank past top 25, but you, you get those votes there. You know, if that's similar and FSU does beat Boise State, you could probably bet uh, the the second edition of the poll uh, would have Florida State ranked. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll see. Like like I said, I hope um, I want the teams in Florida to be good because then when Florida beats them, it should help them when they recruit, right? I mean, you want, I mean, the problem right now in the state of Florida is not that the teams in Florida are good. It's, it's yeah. the teams in Georgia and Alabama and South Carolina are good. And, and those are people who are competing for your recruits as well. So, um, you know, sort of, sort of one of those things where the rising tide raises all boats and you hope all three of them play well, because then the games are meaningful. And when you beat them, then you've got real bragging rights, not just, not just state, not just state bragging rights. All right, so here we go. Um, SEC order of finish, Will. That's where we'll go next. And no surprise, uh, of course, they have Florida second. Both both publications do, Athlon and Lindy's. Uh, Athlon actually puts kind of a predicted order of finish together with records. Uh, so they have get Florida going ten and two. Uh, they don't they don't pick they don't necessarily pick the losses, but you would assume Georgia's one of them. Uh, maybe LSU or Auburn uh, is the other. That's the way I, the way I would look at it there. So. Uh, Athlon ten and two, six and two in the SEC uh, for the Gators, and then uh, Lindy's uh, says uh, second in the East as well. Good news: quarterback Felipe Franks emerged last season and has a better skill at running back and wide receiver around him. Uh, bad news: of course, the offensive line lost several key players, while the defense lost its best safety and pass rusher. No, they keep calling Chauncey Gardner Johnson a safety, but yeah, you know, both publications did it, so I don't necessarily get it, but. Uh, uh, I guess you know they don't uh, they don't key in much, as much as we do, I guess. But yeah, Johnson Gardner Johnson was that uh, kind of hybrid, but more of a more of a nickel roll uh, last year. Uh, our call that's what Lindy says here. Dan Mullen led Gators from four wins to ten and should challenge Georgia in the East. So much of the same there as far as uh, and, and no surprise will uh, that Florida is picked second behind Georgia in the East. Athlon has Missouri third at eight and four. So basically, a two-game difference uh, separates second and third uh, here for Athlon. As they have Florida ten and two, Missouri eight and four, uh, and all four of Missouri's losses they have is coming in the SEC as well. They have South Carolina six and six. They might take that honestly with, with, with that schedule. Uh, South Carolina fourth with at six and six record there. Tennessee uh, seven and five overall, but three and five in the SEC. Uh, has South Carolina three and five in the SEC as well. Kentucky dropping all the way to sixth, uh, going two and six in the SEC with uh, what they lose six and six overall. And Vanderbilt uh, fi- uh, finishing out the East uh, in Athlon. Um, Lindy's I think is the same. Uh, Missouri, Missouri third, South Carolina fourth. Uh, Lindy's does have Kentucky fifth instead of Tennessee. They have ten- Tennessee six and Vanderbilt seven. So mostly the same with just a switch and uh, of South Carolina and uh, or, or Kentucky and Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, I think Kentucky maybe is a team you might want to look out for. I know they lost a ton on defense, so I don't necessarily expect them to be as good on that side of the ball. But we're talking about a team that finished in the top 25 last year. Actually, I think finished in the top 15. So, you know, some of that offense is going to be back. I'm sure that they expect there's going to be some um, some drop off on the defensive side of the ball, but they probably also expect to see some progress on the offensive side of the ball. I just don't, I, I think what Stoops has built there is probably something that, yes, they're going to take a step back, but how big of a step back? I mean, if you, if you told me is the loss of Locke 
or the loss of all the defensive guys at Kentucky going to and, and lost Benny Snell as well. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah. know, if you if you if you tell me Snell versus Locke, I'll tell you I think there's going to be a much bigger drop off in offense at Missouri. I mean, I think people underrate how good Locke was, and we certainly saw it because he yeah. he lit up Florida the last couple of years and certainly has that ability. So, uh, again, I. I I think we're probably splitting hairs here. I think there's been an overall drop-off in the teams that Florida's going to have to compete against, except for maybe South Carolina, except that South Carolina is going to be playing just a murderer's row next year with their schedule. And so probably is behind the eight ball in the SEC, you know, pretty quickly off the bat. So, and probably pretty beat up when they come into the game against Florida as well. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, I think, I think most people think it's Georgia one, Florida two, um, and, and so it's going to come down to that game in Jacksonville, which is really kind of how it ha- how it was all through Spurrier's tenure and and uh, and how it was through Urban Meyer's tenure as well. I mean, Tennessee, I guess, was a little bit better during Spurrier's tenure. But uh, but when Urban was there, it was pretty much him and Georgia and whoever won that game was going to go to the championship. So um, we're sort of back to where that was. And that's kind and of the pecking order of the SEC. And where it was last year. You remember it was a top ten matchup. You know, I don't I, I'm not so sure Florida beats Georgia last year. They they show up uh as empty the next week against Missouri, uh, as they did, but uh it was a top ten matchup and that's well, it looks like that's what uh, these two publications uh expect uh again. So uh, let's go to more detail here uh, about the Gators uh, and when you can kind of fast forward through the magazine and, and, and go uh, uh, straight to the team preview here. I won't go through the whole preview, of course. I'll save some uh, for you guys who uh, want to go get the magazines uh, out there. But I will read the, the quick verdict and the opposing coach's thoughts. Uh, like I said, my favorite part <laughs> of these magazines here. Uh, but the verdict from Athlon says 10-2, uh, and 6-2 and two, uh, for the Gators. Now, Dan Mullen likes to say we're uh, we're the Florida Gators in the quote there. The implication is clear. Championships are to be expected in Gainesville. And while the Gators didn't deliver a title in Mullen's first season, they made a clear statement that they are on the path back to national prominence. Despite the progress being made, Florida is still a year or two away from seriously challenging Georgia, challenging Georgia in the SEC East. The biggest issues in the short term, getting quarterback Felipe Franks to play with more consistency. Uh, he struggled in Florida's three losses and plugging holes in an offensive line that lost four starters. The defense led by top flight, as usual, secondary should be strong. The Gators' fate could be decided by a key, key midseason four-game stretch that includes dates with Auburn, LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia. Only one of those is at home. So, uh, we'll, uh, of course, of saving it kind of for the summer when, when things are slowing down, but we'll get into the Florida schedule and kind of break it down of – Trap games and key stretches, and you know, of course, opening with Miami, ending with Florida State, uh, all that good stuff. But yeah, that that of course, all, uh, you go back and look at Florida's schedule in, in recent years. October is where the schedule is. That is what makes or breaks Florida. You know, another Missouri in, in November every now and then, that, or have given, has given Florida trouble. But it's usually October when you have your two West opponents and LSU, and then you usually book in October with, or usually end October uh, with Georgia. This year it's in November because of the way the calendar falls. Uh, but, yeah, that key four-game stretch, LSU, I mean, Auburn, LSU, South Carolina, Georgia, that, that's going to be the Gator season out there. Yeah, very much so. And I, I think they hit on all the key points, right? I mean, you got yeah. Franks and can he be more consistent? Um, 
And and what does that what does consistent mean with an offensive line that's missing um, you know, the four starters yeah. and, and and you know I went back and looked at tackles they've got four returning starts not starters starts <laughs> at yeah. offensive tackle and most of those are games against Idaho and things like that where they let people where they let people start because they were resting other guys they've got you know Heggie's got seven starts Buchanan's got twelve Forsyth has three Banks has one and then everybody else is either zero or a true freshman so there is not a lot of experience so you know you mentioned utah earlier and all the guys they're bringing back well you know every quarterback is going to struggle if he's getting hit in the back when he drops back and, and that's the reality so you know franks can be a whole lot more consistent and if they don't block as well then that's going to be a problem now i think you look at hevesy's track record and you say okay he's got a pretty good track record of building offensive lines and even last year i mean the offensive line in 2017 was pretty bad and and then in 2018 was considerably better so i think the question is sort of you know all these guys what is the baseline that they start with and then you're going to see improvement throughout the year and the question is can they get to um to average to above average by the time they hit that stretch in October. If they struggle to get there, then Florida's going to struggle. And if they, if they, you know, improve very, very quickly through those games early in the year, then obviously Florida's going to be very formidable by the time they get to that stretch. Oh, well, I'll give you five key gators they picked out here. No, no need to go over the key losses. We know the key losses, uh, of course, here. But key gators, C.J. Henderson, cornerback. Okay, given, we know that. Michael P. Ryan, starting running back. We know that. Gator there. Jabari Zuniga, of course, I got to replace Jacob Polite in his production last year. I think you'll see, you know, Grenard Zuniga kind of team up more for that. Um, uh, but they do, they do call Jabari Zuniga a complete package. And if there was one knock on what Jacob uh, uh, Polite did last year was, as I mentioned, that midseason stretch where he kind of went invisible. And then also, Getting to the quarterback wasn't necessarily a problem, but you know, a lot of time, not a lot of discipline, went out wide, some runs were taken his way. Uh, so, you, you know, maybe a one-trick pony, and it, and it worked. You know, caused turnovers, got sacks, uh, helped turn some games around uh, there. But with the way they're describing, you know, Jabari Zuniga, uh, physical at the point of attack, fast off the edge, uh, and it's the complete package. So, uh, so some high praise there for Jabari Zuniga. The wide receiver they have listed, Will, I just want you. I want you to guess. I mean, I'm assuming they're going to say Kadarius Tony. Yes, it is Kadarius Tony. Ding, ding, ding. Kadarius Tony is the key Gator for wide receiver. Not, not Van Jefferson. Not Trevon Grimes. Uh, and the you know the dynamic, do everything. Tony averaged 10.9 yards on 46 touches from scrimmage as a sophomore. And this last line really gets me because Dan Mullen has mentioned it many times when he talks about Kadarius Tony. Less freelancing might equal more touches in 2019. I don't know. The freelance is kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting that they go to P Ryan and then they go to, they go to Tony. Cause those are guys, I feel like we kind of know what we're going to get from them. So when you look at how the offense is going to, going to succeed or fail next year, the guys I'd be looking at are, are Malik Davis. I think if you've got a dynamic, if he can show the same explosiveness that he showed two years ago when the offensive line wasn't even really playing very well, he can show that against an offensive line, you know, that hopefully an offensive line is going to be better than it was in 2017. Then, you know, if he can really provide a solid second option behind P Ryan, just because he does things that are different, he's not the Mm -hmm. same, he's not the same guy as P Ryan is. And if we get the Malik Davis from two years ago that, you know, this year, I think that's a real feather in the cap for the offense and maybe something that we're not necessarily expecting. And then at least on offense, 
or at wide receiver, I think Grimes is the guy you got to look at. I mean, yeah. he's the guy who he's the guy who was able to take short passes and turn them into more. And that's something that I think has been missing in Florida's offense really as long as ever since uh, Percy Harvin left is having somebody who can take that little screen and take it to the house. There were a couple of times last year where Van Jefferson was able to shake his guy in one-on-one coverage and and make a big play. But but there were plays where Grimes had guys on him and was able to beat him at the line of scrimmage and and really sort of take it – in one-on-one battles, I think Grimes is the guy you think you can just throw it up to him and let him go get it. And if he can do that this year, I think the offense looks pretty successful. Um, on the defensive side, I think Trey Dean is the guy you got to look at. I mean, he's either replacing Chauncey Gardner-Johnson at the star position, or if anything happens with, with Henderson or Wilson, then he's out at corner again. And then who sort of replaces him at the star position? So, And this sort of goes back to Steele transferring but transferring out to Oregon. Yeah, I mean, Kyrie Elam has to come in and step in right away and be, and, and be that guy just so they don't have to move Dean. Very much so. But it also means, you know, Dean, the, Dean, I think, acquitted himself pretty well last year. But when I say that, I mean for a freshman. There were there yeah. were instances where, where he got beat. And there were also instances where it looked like he got beat where I'm not sure it was necessarily his fault. <laughs> but, you know, you look at you look at the game against Missouri, there were a few times where 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 he got beat deep. And and the if Michigan, you the Michigan game too, the last game of the season. Yeah, he he didn't fare too well early on in that game. Well, and that's going to happen sometimes yeah. to a corner, particularly a young corner. So I don't want to pile on, but I, I think what I would say is that um, you know th- there's no guarantee that he's going to come out there and be as good or better than Gardner Johnson. And so if you're really looking at that defensive backfield and saying who's going to who's going to make a huge difference this year, I think the play, the play of Trey Dean is really going to be important. All right, the last key gator they have, and I absolutely agree with this, David Reese, because we saw what happened when he's on, when he wasn't on the field last year uh, against Kentucky. There, uh, what they say here, Reese, a four-year starter, is the quarterback of the defense with a nose for the ball. He has 228 career tackles in 33 games. I mean, I think this is particularly important with Jackson and Johnson transferring. Yeah. That you know, y- you might have been able to paper over uh, an injury or you know a game or two. With, with Reese out, and I mean, it's difficult anyway. I mean, we certainly saw that last year. But, you know, you're going to have to have Hopper come in as a true freshman and sort of step into that role or 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 Miller jump in or Houston or, you know, it, the depth chart starts to get really, really thin because of those transfers. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be really important that Reese stays healthy. I think he's shown what he can do when he is healthy. So I think health is probably the question there, not necessarily ability. Right. Uh, the rising star they have, linebacker Amari Bernie, uh, converted safety that can chase down the ball carriers, uh, run, one run with receivers downfield, come off the edge to blitz the quarterback or cover the flats. Defensive coordinator Todd Grant to be sure to use Bernie's versatility to keep offenses guessing. And, well, I mean, that's, as it was, it was the thing that I pointed out the most when watching the Peach Bowl was Bernie closer to the line of, closer to the line of scrimmage. That's when we first started seeing him a, a kind of a good bit at linebacker. We were wondering if it was going to transfer into the spring. It did. Uh, he's looked to be a, a fix at the position at linebacker, and we all we loved his versatility when he was recruited, uh, when he played last year. And now uh, you know you have a publication here, uh, Athlon, that's picking him to be the rising star uh, of the Gators this fall. Yeah, well, if you remember that Michigan game on the first drive, they did get outside and they were able to get to the outside. They almost scored a touchdown on a play where the running back just barely stepped out of bounds. Um, And then from then on, Bernie started to come out on the field. There's a little bit more speed side to side. Michigan wasn't getting outside anymore, and and then their offense really stalled. So I I think that's sort of the same thing we're going to see from Bernie. If, If he can do that and he can do that consistently, I mean, he is the type of athlete who can really make a difference and 
gives you sort of that flexibility. We, we've talked we talked a little bit last week about P Ryan being out in in pass in in pass routes along with the tight ends and really sort of Mullen developing um, developing schemes to get his guys on a linebacker. Well, you know, if you've got a guy on Bernie, that may actually end up being an advantage for Florida, right? They may like having Bernie one-on-one against the tight end or one-on-one against the running back. And so the scheme that you put out there as an offensive coordinator puts you to disadvantage if you've got a player who can really be a star out there. So I'm excited to see what he can do and excited to see whether it gives Grantham some flexibility in terms of what he can do up front. All right, I'll save Athlon's coaching, anonymous coach thing. Uh, when I do Lindy's as well, I'll do those together uh, to kind of follow on the same theme here of what Lindy's is saying. Um, let's see, overview for what they do. Mullen has more tools to work with at the skill positions than he's ever had as a head coach, but his challenge will be finding a way to use them given an extremely inexperienced offensive line. Florida loses a couple of top-notch players on defense, but has the depth and talent to get better on that side of the ball. If the O-line holds up, the Gators could be a serious contender in the SEC. And the key number, Will, that uh, Lindy throws out is 54, and that is in relation to Georgia's margin of victory while beating Florida the past two seasons and going on to win the SEC East. Two years ago, okay, uh, McElwain's getting fired, tells the team before the game. We know uh, death threats the whole week before. Okay, you, you knew that beatdown was probably coming uh, there. But you go back to last year, top 10 matchup, as, as we said earlier, close game going into the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, Georgia eventually pulls away uh, there. So, of course, you know, they're, they're pointing out very clearly here, offensive line holds up, and the uh, Florida-Georgia game in Jacksonville is going to be big. Yeah, and this I think is maybe, you know, if we were talking about where the where the key player would be, especially on defense, and no one's really said anything yet about it in either of these previews, I think you gotta talk about TJ Slayton and Elijah Conloff. I think the, I think the defensive tackles, not maybe not necessarily over the entire year, yeah. But in that Georgia game, they're gonna have to get pressure up the middle. They're gonna have to get in Fromm's face, and you know they were not able to do that last year, and certainly weren't able to do it two years ago. And and part of that was Schuler came in quite a bit, and Dunlap came in quite a bit, and they played pretty well. But Slayton and Conliffe are the guys that you've recruited, that you've said these, you know, they're, they're the guys who have the high level of talent. They're the guys who started the season, and then after the Kentucky game, sort of fell 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 in the background as Schuler succeeded. So um, I, I really think that to compete with Georgia the key guys are going to be on that defensive line and, and no one's really saying a whole lot about those defensive tackles, yeah. but you know, you get, you get an injury or two there. It could be a real problem because of what we just talked about with Bernie. I mean, he's coming up from the, from the backside. You got to keep, or from the defensive back, you got to keep Reese healthy. And if your defensive tackles can't occupy the offensive linemen, it becomes very difficult for those linebackers to fill those gaps consistently and stop the run. So, um, you know, that's the place that I think maybe if you if you really want to talk about the key to Georgia, I think up front at the defensive tackle is the space you got to look at. Yeah, I, I agree there. Uh, keep Marco Wilson healthy <laughs> as well. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, you know, cornerback's not getting picked on. Uh, yeah, I think that you, you go there, the cornerback position, and Felipe Frank's playing well in that game because, you know, the, the two times he's played uh, against Georgia has not been – uh, has not been pretty as well. So falling on the goal line probably wouldn't be good again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so here we go. Uh, Lindy's in the best and brightest. They have Lamichael Piran as the most valuable player uh, for the Gators coming in. Uh, led Florida in total yards from scrimmage, nine hundred ninety-six, and finished second on the team in scoring. 
48 points. He needs 1,191 rushing yards to become the first career 3,000-yard rusher at UF since Ernest Graham in 99-2002. So uh, Michael Piran can can leave uh, with some some, uh, uh, lofty uh, results here. Uh, Easily Florida's best pass catching back has tallied 32 career catches with three touchdowns, had 100-yard efforts versus Vanderbilt. 121 and Florida State with 129 should be featured as the primary back this season after splitting carries with Jordan Scarlett in 2018. Will, uh, the emerging star Lindy's has here, safety Brad Stewart, uh, helped Florida seal uh, the 27-19 victory over LSU uh, with an interception return for a touchdown late in the fourth quarter. Started only seven of the 11 games he appeared in, but he seemed to be earning more trust from the coaches in spring practice. Elite athlete who has the highest upside of any Florida safety. So, Will, before I move on to the who they have listed as the top newcomer uh, there, uh, Brad Stewart is the uh, as the emerging star. Uh, it did catch my eye. Uh, he is a playmaker. He, uh, I mean, we all remember that game changing interception uh, against LSU to, to basically put that game away. Uh, off-field issues, wasn't able necessarily to get back in the uh, rotation uh, as the season wore on last year. He needs to be on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think he obviously showed his ability. Um, we've seen just on that particular play what he was able to do. But but there have been other times as well where he's shown flashes. And, um, you know, but flashes don't, <laughs> don't make you the breakout. You got to show those flashes consistently. And that's sort of, I think, in many cases, maybe where Florida is going to have to show some progress this year is just consistency across the board. I mean, consistency at the quarterback cons- position, consistency up front of the defensive tackles, and consistency on the back end. I'm, I'm surprised maybe, you know, Stewart has some competition there. I know there's been quite a bit of buzz about Huggins back there in the defensive backfield as well, potentially getting some time. Um, though, you know, some of that's sort of been back up at the star position for Trey Dean, things like that. But, um, you know, hey, I, I think if you think Florida's defensive backs are going to be good, then the safeties are going to have to sort of lead the way. And, and Stewart is probably uh, one of the more talented guys to be able to do that. Heck, I bet that interception against Tennessee uh, late, uh, or or not late, but deep down the field where he just kind of picks it over uh, the wide receiver there. I mean, that was, that was a heck of a play. I mean, you know, he's basically – Fighting for the receiver there, goes up, picks the ball uh, right out, right out of the air for a heck of an interception there. So yeah, uh, he's definitely got the talent, top end talent there that Florida needs on the field uh, here. Uh, top newcomer that they have is not a freshman. Will it is transfer Jonathan Grenard, uh, who they have as the top newcomer uh, for the Gators. Uh, Louisville grad transfer, eligible to play right away in 2019 for Florida. Racked up 15 and a half tackles for a loss, including seven sacks. For Louisville in 2017, suffered a season-ending hand injury in the season opener against Alabama last year. Uh, his first start came against LSU in the Citrus Bowl after the 2016 season. He had five tackles, one and a half a loss versus LSU in that game. He was recruited to Louisville by current Florida defensive coordinator Todd Grantham, who coached Grenard at Louisville in 2015 and 2016. Something else I caught my eye when going through Lindy's magazine, Will, is they have Grenard listed as the number two ranked transfer, non non quarterback transfer in the country. So they have some lofty, um, you know, some lofty expectations here for Grenard and what he can do in replacing Jacob Polite this year for the Gators. 
Yeah, well, I mean, he certainly played well when he was at Louisville. It was in Grantham's system, so he doesn't really have much of a learning curve. I mean, you've got Zaniga on the other side, so he's got sort of a running partner where they can't just double-team him. So I, I get where they're coming from on that. Um, you know, I, I think Grenard certainly, when he's been healthy, has been able to play very, very well. And so that's, you know, the hand injury, you don't figure that's – it's not like a hamstring. It's not something, you know, arthritic with his knee or anything like that. So you figure that he'll probably be able to recover from that and, and be able to play consistently. And, and if he ends up injured, it's just because of something else. It's not because of carryover from last year or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do. Certainly they're going to have to put some pressure on the quarterback. They were able to do that last year. That's part of why the defense was able to be effective. In fact, I mean, you mentioned it earlier that there were some games where the defensive line kind of disappeared, and those were the games where Florida really struggled, and so they're not going to be able to disappear. And the the key here is that Louisville, except for when they play Clemson, doesn't play the kind of talent that Florida plays yeah. on a week-to-week basis. So, again, Grenard is a different kind of player than Ja'Kai Polite. Um, the question is, is he is he more consistent? Is he better? Um, I think maybe he'll be more consistent. I don't know that he's better top end. And so, you know, that's going to sort of be the question is, does the consistency mean that, you know, maybe while maybe he's not explosive and just causing havoc against a team like Tennessee, you know, it does mean that he's consistent and is able to put pressure on from when they play Georgia. And that's, again, that's sort of going to be the key is, is are you just consistent or do you have dry spells um, throughout the year? And, and can he avoid those? All right, well, here we go. My favorite part of these magazines, uh, opposing coaches. Here's Athlon's part, uh, sizing up Florida here. So here we go. Quote, Dan Mullen did a really nice job uh, with, with his year one. Uh, he got the culture back and got the locker room back. They're not nearly what they used to be, but you saw Florida football at times, especially down the stretch. But they're losing a lot this year. Could be an interesting kind of quarterback battle. This is this is the part that really kind of caught my eye. Uh, an opposing coach says could be an interesting kind of quarterback battle between Felipe Franks and Emory Jones. Jones can run better than Felipe, but doesn't have the arm or the experience. Dan is really good at making his quarterbacks look more versatile than they really are. How are they going to feature Jones more often? I don't think Franks is in danger of losing, losing his job or anything, but they want to bring Jones along and use him as a weapon more often. Uh, the running backs and receivers are solid, but not spectacular but we expect that offense to be humming so long as they can find the right replacement starters for the offensive line through the summer. Defensively, they lose their ends, but they always recruit well to that position. The good news is they got their corners back. If they keep a healthy secondary, they can focus on developing the pass rush. The state of the program is that they're ahead of schedule, but still not comparable to Georgia or Alabama or LSU. You can't get that far in one year. Okay, I'm not throwing LSU in that mix right now with Alabama and Georgia. Sorry. Um, Dan, Dan, uh, let's see. Dan has to change his recruiting philosophy, not because it doesn't work, but because of where he's at. He recruited development guys because he's had to at Mississippi State, and that's great. A lot of staffs can't do that. But at Florida, you don't have to develop three stars into four stars, or you don't develop three stars into four stars. You develop five stars into NFL players. So – well, it kind of goes back to our recruiting argument. <laughs> but why, why make it hard on yourself if you don't really have to? Go out there and get the best. You're a, a proven great coach. You're a proven great developer. Go develop four- and five-star talent, not the – look, we, we, we saw what the limitations were in Mississippi State. And, sorry, the baseline talent is going to be better at Florida. And that's why you kind of see a 10-win uh, first year here. But there's some, some interesting remarks about recruiting here from uh, an opposing SEC coach. Uh, a lot of Emory Jones talk and maybe how much playing time he gets this year. 
Uh, and the running backs and receivers are solid, but not spectacular there. Uh, is there an in-between for solid and spectacular? Because that's probably, <laughs> that's probably where I'm at. Well, I mean, when's the last time we saw a guy take one to the house for when, when a play wasn't blocked perfectly? Yeah. When's the last time we saw a guy break three or four tackles and take it to the house? It wasn't last year. I mean, P. Ryan had a couple of really long runs, and I mean, those are great runs for him, but they weren't plays where he was trapped and all of a sudden he was able to break it and he took it to the house. And, you know, there, there are guys who, you know, Dalvin Cook at Florida State was like that. Man, that's exactly who, when you were mentioning that, that's exactly where I went. It was Del, you know, a Dalvin Cook type of, type of running back. Right, but I mean, the guy who can – and the guy that you give him the ball over and over and over again, and maybe he gets a yard and then two yards and then two and a half yards, and you sort of get him by the ankle a few times and then pop. All of a sudden, you know, the offense kicks into gear just because he's able to rip off a 60 yard run that probably shouldn't have been a 50 yard, or, you know, probably shouldn't have been a 50 or 60 yard run to begin with. Um, and this maybe is where they're coming from with Emory Jones, right? I mean, there's no need to protect him. You don't need the red shirt. You kind of want to protect Franks from running. So do you bring Emory Jones in and then sort of, you know, have them both on the field at the same time, do some things that they used to do with Tebow when Leak was still there? I think you can very, very likely see stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, I, I would sort of agree with the assessment of the running backs and the wide receivers right now. Just they have shown to be very, very good. But I haven't seen a guy who's been able to. Ju- I haven't seen a guy who's been a game changer yet. And maybe that's Tony. I think it's more likely to be Grimes. Um, and if Grimes can do that, then obviously they take a leap, and the offense takes a leap as well. Um, I do find it interesting that everybody just sort of glosses over the offensive line. It's like as long as the offensive line plays well, everything should go to plan. It's yeah. like well, that, that's that's. I mean, that's a big question mark. That's a big question mark, yeah. And and so, you know, I I get everybody's got them 10 and 2, and I've got, and I understand that everybody's very, very optimistic after year one. Um, But this is one of those things where the overall team may be better, but just because of a certain unit, there may be some growing pains, especially early on. And, you know, I hope not, but we'll see. All right. Well, Lindy's and their opposing opposing coach view here, a little bit shorter here, uh, on Dan Mullen. Mullen did a hell of a job with quarterback Felipe Franks. Franks was very average before Dan got there. One thing about Mullen at Florida, he will have as good or better uh, defenses than he had at Mississippi State, and he's not playing a West schedule in the SEC. So if he can duplicate at Florida on offense what he did at State, he'll challenge for the East every year. Uh, More on Mullen, if he can get the best athletes in the state of Florida and coach them up, he'll win a lot of games. And he's got a really good defensive coordinator in Todd Grantham. Mullen got as much out of out of his talent as anybody in the league, and I think Florida would be much improved. I got a lot of respect for Mullen. There's an argument that he's the best quarterback coach in all of the Southeast. But, uh, Will, we have to go back to that second part in the first sentence. If he can get the best best athletes in the state of Florida. <laughs> we had an episode on that a couple of weeks ago uh, the, after DeMarcus Bowman uh, chose Clemson there. So, they're, they're, a lot of the – I mean – I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, we have the acumen of coaches or anything, but uh, the a lot of the same theme here. If Mullen can get the best athletes and mostly the best athletes in in the home state, he's going to do a lot of damage. Yeah, well, I mean, here's what the magazines are really telling you, right? They're telling you that Florida has more talent than Mississippi State, and it's really not even close. 
And Mullen is a very, very good coach. And I think that's been proven out. And I think it's also been proven out when you take a closer look at the numbers in terms of his ability to get more three stars to the NFL than a typical peer. His ability, his his win-loss record against teams that have more talent than his team does. I think when you look at it, you say, okay, yes, there are really, really positive signs here. And he's got top 10 recruiting talent. I mean, you know, he had a top 10 class this past year, though it drops lower when you start factoring in the attrition. But, you know, I mean, Florida, even if you take McIlwain's players and McIlwain's recruiting classes is in that like 13 to 14 range nationally. And so they ought to be a top 10 or, you know, top 15 team based on those players that they have. I mean, that's the reality. Now, I think last year you look at it and say, okay, well, it's a new system, a new quarterback or a new, a new system for the quarterback. You know, we don't really know what we have in our quarterbacks. You're really happy with 10 and three. I think the expectations ratcheted up this year. Eh, I mean, I, I think six and eight, I think you really got to be happy with that if that's where they end up. Um, at the end of the day, though, when we talk about recruiting and when we say something either is or isn't good enough, what we're really we're not saying that it's not good enough for Florida to be a very, very, very good team. What we're saying is that it's not comparable to what's happening at Georgia and Alabama, and even even though you dismissed it at LSU, so um, you know, I, I, it doesn't mean it's not. That's just based on the recruiting part of it. Now, yeah, if you look at recruiting numbers and stuff, then you know LSU is recruiting better than Florida. I still. I still have a hard time believing that's going to be enough for LSU to catch up to Georgia and Alabama and actually separate themselves from Florida. Yeah, well, I mean, and... and <laughs> overall, and, overall. Well, and, and we've never said that recruiting is the only... No, right, right, right. Yep. But I do think it's striking that these preseason magazines, when they're talking to the coaches, yeah. the coaches are saying that Florida needs to get better horses. And when they do, watch out, because Mullen is the type of coach who's really going to be able to make those guys run. And, you know, that that is the argument, right? That if yep. you if you put Mullen at Georgia right now, I don't think anybody would be talking about, would be talking about Florida. Like if you switch the coaches, right, you put Kirby at Florida, you put Mullen at Georgia and you had the same rosters. I mean, it, we'd we'd be sitting there going, oh, <laughs> so, yeah, so they're at number one or number two instead of uh, instead of Alabama. So, I mean, hey, I, I think, and I've said this over and over again, if Mullen is able to win the SEC consistently with just top 10 recruiting classes, I think it says a lot about his coaching acumen and a lot about his ability to develop players and really sort of, I think, indicates that um, that development plays a larger role than maybe I give it credit for. At the same time, we'll see, right? I mean, the, the, the good part is we get to see it on the field, but it, it is telling to me that the coaches that they're interviewing here, giving these anonymous remarks, point out the same types of things that we're pointing out in terms of talent coming in, keeping the talent in the state, drawing a circle around Gainesville, and making sure you bring those guys in, because traditionally that's very, very important. All right, well, for the sake of time here, we'll get to some uh, to some other things. But uh, there's some unit rankings and kind of the all SEC teams and all American teams. We'll we'll push that to a later point. Uh, we can kind of feature on on, on specific talent uh, at a later date here to, to kind of save some time here. One thing I did want to get uh, in on, and of course we're speaking about how what these coaches said and and what they think about Dan Mullen. Well, Athlon uh, a year ago, will. And they had Dan Mullen ranked as the third best new hire behind Scott Frost and Chip Kelly. That was, you know, of the 2008, uh, 2018 new hires, last year's edition of Athlon ranked Dan Mullen third behind Scott Frost and Chip Kelly. A year later, the magazine's released and they 
ranked the 2018 new coaches, and Dan Mullen comes in at number one there. So no no surprise uh, there. I think after a, a ten and three uh, season, of course, turning around Florida four and seven. They say here. Gators improved in every facet of the game in Mullen's first season, and they're on the verge of returning to national relevance. Here's an amazing stat. Florida ranked sixth in the SEC in total offense in 2018, marking the first time since 2009 that the Gators finished higher than 10th in the league in that category. The offense, the offensive renaissance should continue in Gainesville in 2019. Yeah, well, I mean, you certainly hope so, right? I mean, I think that's what Mullins paid for was to score points. He said that when he came in. Um, you know, I, I anticipate that they're still going to be pretty effective on that side of the ball. Um, I anticipate that they're going to get better as the year goes on because of some of the youth that they have on that side of the ball too. But, um, you know, there's a little bit of a mismatch in terms of timing, right? The wide receivers are all relatively are older guys. The skill position guys are older. You know, Jefferson, Grimes. Peter, and, wait, 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 right, and right there, Will, before you go, two of those were transfers. Grimes yep. and Jefferson. Yep. And then the offensive line is relatively inexperienced. So it's interesting, just sort of the mismatch in terms of the experience there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would be very, very interested. And I don't know if you have the information or have the magazines so you can go back and look. Yeah. But where was Jim McElwain ranked after his 2015? Oh, man. I right? do not have those. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it's dangerous to say one year, let's re rank these guys. I mean, obviously, Chip Kelly has put a dumpster fire at UCLA. Right. And they may I, just be ranking on 2018 alone. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, that's all you got to go on, right? Yeah. But, yeah. But I, I think people are going to be, I think Frost is a good coach. And they, I have think, him, they have him at number five, by the way. Yeah. Uh, even, even after they just went four and eight, uh, they started 0 and six, I believe, and ended the season four and eight. So they still, they still had him in the top five. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think you look back five years from now, and that's when you're going to say how good of a hire was that, and and uh, you know certainly Florida in the past, you've been able to say it after year two, right? I mean, when Urban Meyer won the national championship in 2006, everybody was like, all right, that was a good hire, but uh, but you know, I think three or four years from now, you'll be able to look back and really say that, and and I think everybody would agree that Jim McElwain was not the right hire at this point. Um, the question was, what did people think in 2015? I think, you know, again, I think Mullen has earned being at that number one spot, but it's just like anything else in college football. You, you get to number one of the polls and, uh, you know, it doesn't mean anything until you, <laughs> until you finish number one of the polls. So um, if they're still calling him the best coach in, or the best new hire from, uh, from two years ago at the end of that, or at the, for the magazines for next year, then Florida will have really done something. All right, just some other coaches of note there from the 2018 new coaches. They had Jimbo Fisher third, uh, Texas A&M, of course. I mentioned Scott Frost at five. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt, nine uh, there. So uh, there uh, at, uh, at Tennessee, uh, of course, four and eight to five and seven. Uh, Joe Moorhead, 10 in Mississippi State. Chip Kelly, who was uh, ranked number two as the new hire uh, last year, all the way to 12th, Will. So, uh, and um, man. Recruiting talk at Florida, you know, is 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 dramatic. But uh, if we were covering Chip Kelly at Florida and they had the similar results of what they're doing at UCLA right now, oh man, it would it would be ugly. It would be it would be so bad. Put put it this way, I'm glad that my article on Chip Kelly did not come out <laughs> when there were rumors about him uh, taking the Florida job. I might have written something, and it, it might have been more rosy than what he's shown at UCLA. Yeah. Hey, so, yeah. Where's, where's I, I, that? I, Where's Taggart on this list? Uh, Willie Taggart is like 121st. He is 21st. Out and of out of 
21. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, who dagger? <laughs> I can't reach it now. I have the old Athlon at my feet somewhere just to kind of see where they had Mullen last year because I, I forgot. I don't remember where they had Willie Taggart ranked going into last year. you got to so, tweet that out after the show, Dave. Yeah, I will. I will. But, yeah, out of 21 2018 hires, Willie Taggart is 21st. Oof. Man, so maybe they won't be 25th at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's what they say, by the way. Taggart's first season in Tallahassee was a debacle. The Seminoles suffered through their first losing season since 1976, Bobby Bowden's first year on campus. They lost a staggering six games by 19 points or more, including setbacks of 30-7 to at Syracuse, 59-10 to at home versus Clemson, and 41-14 to versus rival Florida in the season finale. Taggart will need to show significant progress in every facet of the program in year two to keep the fan base from revolting. Oh, yeah. Well, the problem is they don't have any money, so they can't get rid of him. So he's basically <laughs> there. No Maybe I do want him to be bad because they, <laughs> they, they can't get rid of him. Funds to get rid of him, even if he is bad. So, eh, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll leave him alone for now. But that, man, it was a bad year out there in Tallahassee. So, <laughs> I mean, when you compare what happened in Gainesville, compared to what happened in Tallahassee. I mean, the teams basically have roughly equivalent talent. You can yeah. make an argument that Florida State has more. And uh, and I think you can make a pretty convincing argument they do. And and for that to be the disparity between the two programs, I think you got to feel good about it, about Florida's program and the direction it's heading when you when you make that comparison. All right, well, last thing here, uh, the Athlon betting guide they have here. And really, really caught me by surprise here. Of, of, their, you know, of course, there's a reason I'm bringing it up because it's Florida-related here. They have the Gators as the best value for a national title favorite at 33 to 1 odds. Uh, there's some read here. The Gators get Miami early, Auburn at home, and Florida State at home. If they can get by LSU in Death Valley, the Georgia game could have SEC championship game implications and college football playoff implications. At 33 to 1, we get a non Clemson, non Alabama team with the talent to win with the talent to win it with a schedule that sets up positively. So it is a tough schedule. It is, but you do have, you know, you you have Miami in a neutral side at home and Manny Diaz's first game. Auburn's still trying to figure out what they're going to do. Gus Mazon's calling plays, but who's the quarterback? You beat LSU last year. You do have to go to Baton Rouge. Uh, the Georgia game, you know, look, and, and even with this, you could afford one loss probably. Uh, if you with this schedule, if you're Florida, some weird things would probably have to happen if you're a one loss Florida and you don't get into a playoff, even if you don't make it to the SEC championship game there, you do get Florida State uh, to end the season at home as well. Uh, and you know, we just got through talking about the problems there 33 to 1 odds, and Athlon finds that as the best value for a team to to win the national championship, Will. Yeah, you know, I think the other thing is when you look at Georgia's schedule, they've got at Auburn and versus Texas A&M as their cross matches with the West. So certainly you can imagine a scenario where if they get caught in that game at Auburn and then have to come in the next week against a Texas A&M team that may be rolling, um, you know, maybe they get caught by some SEC opponents and allows, even if Florida were to lose to Georgia, yeah. if Florida only has one SEC lost, maybe they're able to get to the SEC championship game. You know, also they have versus Notre Dame early in the year. So again, a top 10 team that Georgia's going to be playing. 
in and and you know maybe some of the the attrition of, of a schedule that, that you know there, there could be some attrition by the time you get towards the back end of that schedule whereas whereas Florida's playing Vanderbilt and uh, and Missouri in the last and Florida State in the last three games I think uh, you know Georgia has a different schedule on that side with Auburn Texas A&M and then Georgia Tech who, who also should be a little bit better so I think you, you look at that and say okay Based on schedule, maybe Georgia struggles a little bit. I don't know whether I necessarily believe that, but you can say that. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about Florida having like a 10% chance at making the playoff, I think was what was listed for the ESPN FBI. Yep. And, and it was like the fifth or sixth highest team. Mm-hmm. In terms of in terms of percentages to make the to make the playoff, and I think that is indicative of just sort of the strength of the SEC and the respect that it garners. That um, the SEC is the only conference that that typically fights for two playoff spots, so there's a possibility to get a second playoff spot. And once you get to the Final Four, anything can happen. Um, I think there's also um, you know, th- there's also just a, a realization that if everything goes right, if Florida gets a little bit lucky, right, you go to Baton Rouge and all of a sudden Orgeron has a brain cramp and Florida is able to get out of there and steal a game that maybe they wouldn't have won otherwise, um, you know, they position themselves in a good place for that. So it doesn't surprise me that an SEC team would be the the um, the bet that Vegas would have. I mean, I'd want to look at <laughs> I'd want to look at you know somebody like Utah is somebody mm-hmm. that at and say okay if if they're a if they're a huge bet um, you know just because they come from the Pac-12 they could probably drop a couple games and still make the playoff um, you know maybe that's a team that you might think about but certainly I think if you're betting if you're betting for the national champion um, you will have done pretty well if you've betted for the SEC against the field the last few years actually the last what two decades so uh, so I understand why that would be something that they'd look at. Yeah, they do have, uh, speaking of Utah, and, and I'm going to back to that team again, they do have them to bet the win total of over eight and a half there. So, yeah, I mean, they beat Washington um, there. So that's, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, they, I think they're in the Pac-12 South. So I think they have Arizona, Arizona State, USC, UCLA, uh, I think is how that breaks out. So, you know, Washington and Oregon are the other two best teams in the Pac-12. Uh, and they, Utah has the advantage of uh, playing in the South. Yeah, well, you know, again, the odds are set to like the reason it's a good bet is that you bet a very little bit of money and you make <laughs> quite a bit of money, which means they don't necessarily think, or at least Vegas doesn't think it's very likely, or people who are betting in Vegas don't think it's very likely that Florida would make the playoffs or even win the championship. And again, I think that sort of is is tied into the strength of the SEC that you figure that there's a pecking order and that Florida is maybe fourth in that pecking order. If you think about, um, you know, you got Alabama and then you got Georgia. And then if you think about LSU, Auburn, Florida. Yeah. Well, I mean, right now, if you go by, if you go by these magazines, Athlon has Florida fourth overall and Lindy's has Florida third overall in the SEC. But they also both have them as top 10 teams, right? They're both sitting there saying if one thing goes their way in a game where, you know, Fromm goes down on the opening on the opening play or Fromm, you know, God forbid, tears an ACL or something the third week of the season. Who's the backup at Georgia? There is no depth right there. Actually, a guy from my hometown in Pierce County, Stetson Bennett, would probably be their backup quarterback. Uh, in Pierce County, Georgia. So he is uh, he's the backup right now uh, to, to to Jake Fromm. So it would be it would I, mean, I don't wish Jake Fromm to get hurt or anything. No, it'd, it'd be it'd be cool to see a guy from my hometown uh, down in South Georgia 
be this be, he was a walk on now, so that kind of lets you know where the talent level is. And if he's playing quarterback for Georgia, it's, it's it's not an ideal scenario for them. Well, but those are the kinds of things you look at and say, you know, first week of the season, you go, oh, there's no way Florida can beat Georgia. But then as you get, you know, eight, nine games in, there's attrition, right? And if if Georgia's offensive line is struggling, maybe they get an injury, you know, a rolled ankle or something for, for from, and then he can't play in the game. So I, I think, you know, if you think Florida's going to be a top 10 team, they only need to win one more game than you think they're going to in order to get into that conversation. So um, if all I need is one more game, I think it makes sense that they would think that Florida's a good bet based on the odds and where they sit in Vegas. Well, I think one reason they're looking at that too, and since we're on the Florida-Georgia topic before we wrap this episode up, uh, the betting guide does, out of three games, the whole nation uh, that they're picking right here, Florida-Georgia is one of the games that they're looking up at. As of right now, Georgia is a four-point favorite uh, over Florida. So they, they say here in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, Georgia is listed as more than a field goal favorite per betonline.ag. And this game could have major ramifications in the national title race. Florida poses a ton of challenges this year. And while both teams will be very good, the Gators finally have the coaching to hang with Georgia. The Bulldogs are focused on a return to the college football playoff, but should they escape the first few months, first two months unblemished, things could derail in Jacksonville. So, I mean, you've, you've heard throughout this you know, preview here of the college football magazines, uh, a lot of Florida-Georgia talk. Can Florida close the gap there? And they're looking at that game as a national shakeup game uh, but for, for, uh, for betting college football. Yeah, well, I mean, this really is a development versus talent argument, I think. Because, you know, if you go back and watch the Georgia game, and like I said, for, for, the, for the article I wrote on Franks last week, I had gone back and looked at every offensive play. If you rewatch that Georgia game, it's a lot closer than it should be. I mean, Georgia jumps out to a big lead. That I think it was 10 nothing, and it should have been more than that. And then, you know, Florida struggles. Franks drops the ball basically on his own goal line when he's when he's running just an off-tackle run, um, and, and they're not able to punch it in. There were a lot of sort of curious decisions by Kirby Smart. Um, the fact that he only threw it to Nada at the end of the first half <laughs> – <laughs> and the beginning of the second half, and then never went back to the tight end, even though he was torching the Florida defense with that. Um, so there are and a lot speaking, of and speaking around that same time, Florida takes the lead after halftime. Absolutely. So you know, I mean, if you look at the stats and where, where they stood with Florida in the lead, they really had no business being in the lead in that game. And I think a lot of it goes back to, you know, if 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 they are really only four points separated, and Smart takes two field goals that are less than twenty yards, I think Florida wins the game. Just, just because you can't pass up points there when when your teams are much more are much more equivalent and certainly the way Frank's played the last four games of the year if he plays like that then it's going to be a lot closer game so I, I think there is a path to where Florida can be very very good and can compete with Georgia and potentially even win that game um, but obviously a lot of things have to go right um, and, and I think that's sort of what they're saying in terms of where the odds stand but also in terms of where they have Florida situated overall nationally but also in the SEC. Well, it's so good to buy these preseason magazines. Florida's ranked in the top 10. There's a lot of positivity. And look, we've discussed this before with the podcast, a lot of expectations, heightened expectations. And, and that's a good thing because it beats what, uh, you know, last year, which was an unknown, uh, coming off a, a four-win season. And a year later, we get these preseason magazine, and, and Florida is firmly in the top 10. 
Yeah, man. Well, I mean, ever since I've joined the podcast, we haven't known who the quarterback was <laughs> during the offseason. But it's just nice to know who the quarterback is. And, you know, last last year I had a whole a whole sequence where I was going over every yeah. guy the depth chart and sort of looking at his high school film and trying to decide who was the best guy for the job and all Kadarius that. Kadarius Tony. Hey, hey, hey <laughs> touchdown pass last year. I feel good. <laughs> but uh, – you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's clear that it's going to be Felipe Franks who's going to be the starter. And just that level of continuity makes you feel good going into the year, right? Yep. Now, you might have said that a few years ago when Driscoll was coming back after 2012. Yeah. Obviously, he got hurt, and then you had all the sort of the shenanigans that went on with all the quarterbacks getting hurt that year and, and having a much uh, you know, having a much more difficult year than we anticipated. But um, you, know, you don't think that's going to happen in year two with Mullen, particularly with Savage and some of the things we've seen with the strength and conditioning program, and really just that Mullen hasn't had those sorts of downturns, even when he was at Mississippi State. I mean, he hasn't, you know, didn't have four and eight years and, and games or years where the offense just looked completely incompetent. So even if he has to go back and rely on Emory Jones for a few games because of an injury, I think we can be pretty confident that he'll at least be able to scheme around his weaknesses or areas where he maybe doesn't have experience to, to be more effective. As I said, probably next week or the week after, you know, we'll dive into some more things I wanted to get into the two of this episode as far as you know, the unit ranking and where the quarterbacks, running backs, wide receiver as a group and, and the defense as a group uh, ranks in the SEC uh, and all the like the all SEC teams, all American teams as well. So we'll get to that. Uh, I didn't think we uh, I, I actually will. I, I actually thought we would wrap everything up in, in an hour, but uh, no, there's still two topics I wanted to get to. So plenty, plenty of time to get to this. Well, this, this is effective summer podcasting day. It is. It is. That over multiple weeks. <laughs> and then it, inevitably it gets bumped because something else happens. <laughs> we got to talk about that. So hopefully nothing happens. And every- the last time we planned an episode for Felipe Franks, it got pushed like three times. So. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I mean, I look forward to talking about all these guys and where they stand on the depth chart and all that sort of stuff. We obviously have opinions, but uh, I'm interested to hear what these publications say. And certainly uh, um, as Phil Steele's comes out as well, I'm interested yeah. to see what he has to say. All right. All right. That's Will Miles. You can find his. Uh, Will, what you got coming up? Read reaction, by the way. I have no idea. I got a few okay. things on, working at home. And, uh, you know, I took this week off just because it was Memorial Day and, and, and quite honestly didn't have time. So yeah. uh, we'll get back at to it this week. Probably a little bit on recruiting, but uh, but we'll see whether I have time. All right. So readingreaction.com is where you can find Will and at Will Miles SEC on Twitter. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.